Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Cotton in a Rocket Ship. I am your host, Lennox Mars Jr. Today, we are going to continue with the book, Cotton in a Rocket Ship, and discuss um, a piece of mine. Once again, if you haven't been tuning in to Cotton in a Rocket Ship, this book is about my life and how I see the world um, from childhood to manhood with the obstruction of race and with the inf- interference of race in American society. It won't always be, be about race. It will be almost a reflection of sorts. And um, this piece is called Blanco. This is season one, episode nine, and I will perform Blanco to you. Here it goes. Back home, there are no parties and parades and cookouts for the college graduated. But jail sentences and releases get commemorated. I walk through the office of my job and it feels like my past is a giant ball and chain that is attached to my leg. And this fitted suit and pocket square can't hide the pain. I wear my experiences as a purple heart fighting the good fight for people of color who are not on TV shaming themselves. This is what progression looks like. I went back home around my way and childhood friends who chose a ghetto life, dapped them with love and shared the hug only to get a message a week later from my cousin that told me that I I turned white. I laughed and looked at my hands and said, If black means standing on a corner getting harassed by the police, well, then he's right. You can't see the war that I fight. Microaggressions in the office. Co-workers asking, if this is what is cool and you can dance, right? Or you're so well-spoken. I earn where I belong. And there's only one of me, so I'm a token. For now, you are so far removed from this fight. Thank you. That was called Blanco. And uh, to give you a director's cut of Blanco, I am currently out of college when I wrote this poem. I'm, I'm out of college, but I haven't gotten into college. So this piece is wedged in between um, what I was feeling at the time. And now I'm looking at myself as an adult in the workplace and then going back home so at this moment in time I probably was a newly minted professional when I wrote this poem so the other poems may have been when I well they're all reflections but this poem I can say I was newly minted um, professional so I probably was around the age of 24 25 
to give the listeners and readers some background. So I am looking at myself in terms of being a new professional, having some experiences as a man, trying to earn my bones and make my way through life without having the badge of race, but you still encounter it in a different form. And now the things that you experience as a a black professional is different when you experience it as a, a younger man. So you're watching the evolution of racism takes its head. It's a little bit more polished. It's a little bit more refined. Um, and you see it play out in a way. And so I'll just give you um, a rundown of Blanco. And the reason why I named it Blanco is uh, Blanco means white in Spanish. And I have a lot of Latino and um, Hispanic friends. Um, those who are of um, African descent, those who are not. And um, so I just wanted to name it Blanco because uh, you go through the experience as, um, as an educated um, individual or a person who wants more for themselves. You almost have to wrestle with two sides. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois always call it this, this duality of some sorts. There's two sides to a black man, a black woman. Um, and the more that you strive to become educated, the more that you want more for yourself, um, you tend to get called white. It's just a byproduct of ignorance on both sides. So. Um, you see, you'll see how it plays out. So I, I go into the piece and says, back home there are no parties, parades, and cookouts for the college graduated, but jail sentence and releases get commemorated. I can remember um, graduating from college, and um, you know we had a, a private celebration uh, with my family and friends, and they're the ones who who supported it, but. Um, those who came home out of prison, they, they get the balloons, they get the banners, they get, they get the same, if not a better reception for those who gra- than those who graduated college. And uh, we can attest to that. Not that there's an era of comparison, but it's nefarious in the way that it, it wormed our way that we accept um, those who came home which we do, we're not supposed to discard our own, but it's not as celebrated as much. So you, you, especially where I come from, I could say those who came home, it's it's big parties, it's big celebration. Um, more than those who, who have some academic achievement or some academic accolades. So I say, but jail sentence get commemorated. We almost respect um, you coming home. Um, it's almost a level of integrity that's attached to, to um, coming out of prison. And I say, I walk through my office job and it feels like my past is a giant ball and chain that's attached to my leg. Um, I'm speaking, of course, in metaphor. But 
we we carry this baggage um, when you where you come from. It's um they respect you for your experiences. They know that you go through a level of experience, or maybe not, but you go through a level of experience just to get here. Um, there's a lot of things that you go through that just to even get here, you know, it's almost akin to I, I give the example of I um I make it to a party and my car breaks down and I have to walk through I have to run through the woods. And uh, my shoes may be muddy. I may be in a tuxedo. My shoes are muddy. I may have like leaves and, and dirt and brush on on my uh, on my suit. But just to get to the party has been an ordeal. I may have had to to walk miles to get here. So if if I'm being judged, um, don't judge me on this. You know, judge me on the the effort that I've I've put in just to get here. Um, and even though I dress up, you know, even though I'm wearing the garb, I'm wearing the, I'm wearing a, a, a fitted suit, I'm wearing a custom suit, I'm wearing the pocket squares, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sharp. I still have to deal with racism in some form. And they say I wear my experience as a Purple Heart fighting the good fight of people with people of color who are not shaming themselves on TV. This is what progression looks like. So. Um, Around the time I wrote this, this was around the era of uh, reality TV. You know, you get basketball wives, you got real wives of Atlanta, you, you get um, all sorts of, of, I call it garbage TV. But you get this, and it's in the American society. It's in the American psyche. And this is the representation of, of what we have as black people, as entertainment. If we're not bashing each other, if we're not cursing at each other, or we're not spilling a drink, or fist fighting, or, or having some type of lawless shootout, um, this is the betrayal. Um, we we don't even have one one or two shows that is wholesome and actually credible. So you may get a good two or three shows. But it's not written the same. It's, it, it, it doesn't have the same detail as the ignorance that, that's seen on TV that's displaying people who look like me. And you have to deal with that. Then I say I went back home around my way and childhood friends who chose a ghetto life, I dabbed them with love, I shared the hug and get a message later from my cousin that told me that I turned white. Uh, true story. These are true recollections. And, um, you know, I go, I go back to, you always want to be accepted from where you come from. Uh, you see that with rappers today or you see that with anyone today. You know, you always want to be able to go back home. But um, going back home is, you have to deal with it's the same level of ignorance of some sort just because you want more for yourself it's almost you know they tell you that you turn white or oh he ain't messing with us no more he, he's he's different he's changed clearly i did um so being from an urban environment and being um, african-american you almost have to divorce yourself from your blackness 
or they want you to divorce yourself from your blackness because they're not used to seeing your evolution. Um, they're not used to seeing you become something more than what society expects or even what they expect. So then they just write it off as, oh, he became white. And, and this works in two, two phases. It, it lets the user or the wielder of this, this racialized experience accept their living space. It allows them to accept, accept it without any accountability, without any, any thought that they could want more or they can achieve more. They, they essentially cut that side off of them and to value themselves, they have to almost devalue yourself and saying, oh yeah, he became white. Like in order for you, in order for a black man to achieve any level of success, he has to be white or he has to um, give up something. Yeah, you do have to give up something, but it's not the internal core. It's not where you come from. You have to give up the, the excuse sometimes, most times. You have to kind of give up the excuse of, of because the man, so to speak, there is no man. The man is an illusion. And I think my people, I would say, my people, we, we suffer from the thought that, um, or the experience or the pain of failure or, or of the thought of failure is more scarier than actually the attempt. So it allows them to accept living in the ghetto or living in a, a a project or an urban environment because one they haven't seen any anything like this or they they haven't seen or thought or conceptualized this far ahead and when they do see someone who come from it they say oh he turned white oh like he's doing a white thing oh, that can't be me i'm gonna keep it straight hood i'm you know but and then i say i look down at my hands and see, I guess standing on the corner being harassed by police, yeah, he's right. So I, you know, I choose not to live this existence. I choose not to, to indulge in it. I, I don't, I don't care for wearing the same dirty clothes or dingy clothes, walking up and down the street, the same neighborhood that I grew up in. It's the same place I'm gonna die, without it ever experiencing the world, this great nation of America, or. If there's other places that you can live, Japan, Africa, Asia, it doesn't matter where you go, um, but you will grow up. There's some people that will grow up in the same five mile radius and die there at the age of anywhere between 21 to 33. It's almost a frightening, uh, they live a very I don't want to even say the word minuscule existence, but I just knew that that wasn't for me. Um, it's scary to, to grow up in a place and stay there and die.
and be harassed over and over or, or deal with the same ills. If I have to deal with anything negative, let me just have new experiences, you know, not just this, the same thing day in and day out. And then I say, I look at my hands and I guess he's right. So sometimes you move on as you're moving forward. You just have to accept it. You just have to accept that you're going to be talked about negatively or positively. Um, up to this day, I get joked on by friends and family, uh, you know, and I think that's a part of that's a part of it, too. You know, you can't be thin skinned is that, you know, they'll call you white boy. They'll call you white man. But to those who are white, they know that I'm not. Um, so you're, you're kind of wedged in the middle. There's this gray area race where you're just just wedged in between the middle. It's funny because um, because that's just the way it is. It's a funny experience as you continue to climb and want more for yourself. Um, and I see why some professionals who are black don't want to give back because they have to, you have to endure that over and over again. It's not an excuse to not give back. Definitely not an excuse to not give back. But I can see why those who aren't in a position choose not to go back. They may have ventured off so far that they don't even resemble or see themselves um, in the people that they came from, which is also sad, which is also a sad existence. To never go back to your village, to, to the people who came from you, or you, the people you've come from, to not share those experiences, to not have them be a part of those experiences. Once again, you de divorce yourself from your experiences. That shouldn't be a requirement for those of African descent or those of any culture. We understand that there's a give and take, but why can't the system accept you for your entirety? And then I go on to say that you can't see the war that I fight microaggressions in the office, co-workers asking if this is what's cool, or you can dance, right? These are all factual conversations. These are all real conversations those black people have. And there's more. I'm sure black women, they, they have those microaggressions with, oh, let me see your hair. Can I touch your hair? Um, I like your hairstyle. Um, the things that you have to do in order to, to be professional. And then you still have to maintain an air of professionalism even when the conversations aren't professional. Um, I often talk to my cousin and my best friend who also, they are part of fraternities. I'm a, I'm a fraternal member as well. And I say, I, I take that almost to being akin of, of going through the pledge process. I know, they, I know they say that you shouldn't, you, no one pledges, 
but I've been through a process. And in the process, it's akin to that. You always have to maintain a level of, 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 of the core. You're never offline. So for those who know what I mean by you're on and offline, you're never offline. You never can have a breather where you can relax and say, you know, and be yourself in the office. You have to always maintain a level of air even when these things aren't even professional. Or you're so well-spoken. You hear that a lot as an educated um, black man or black woman. You know, you're so well-spoken. It's like, thanks. It's almost a backhanded compliment. We don't like it. We understand people are coming from a place of sincerity, but there's more of us who, who can articulate. There's a lot of us who can articulate, many of us. But once again, I will always drive home that there's this narrative on TV and, and in mainstream media, um, we are uneducated. In fact, we are very educated. We have institutions, black institutions, created over 150 years, century and a half old, you know, historically black colleges and universities created directly out of the suffrage of slavery. The first thing African Americans did in this country was create schools for themselves to become educated. So I think that's, um, that has to be noted. And um, I go on to say I earn where I belong, but there's only one of me. I'm a token. You are removed from this fight. So I understand that there's my place. And in these institutions, um, of course, you, you have to pick and fight your battles because you don't want to end on the bread line. Um, so being a, a black professional means that you kind of have to let these things roll off your back like water. They almost become accepted. But at certain times, you may, you have to check them. You know, you will, you will address it. But then at the moment of time that you address it, you're only one. So you won't, or two or three, it may be you and another black female or you and another person of color, whether they're Hispanic or Asian. Um, so when you say these things that you say that, you know, you shouldn't say that it's offensive. There's this group think of, of whiteness that becomes oppressive. So even when you have the, the diversity chairs or you have HR, you can say these things, but then you will have a backlash. You would have a reaction of some sort that's negative because in their space, they don't understand that of why it's offensive. So they won't even step into the, into the, into your space to understand why this is offensive. So they'll just say, oh, you're being overly sensitive. And so now you, you're, you're at an impasse with a, a supervisor or a coworker. Now you created an enemy for something of, of defending yourself. These are all things that happen in the, in the, the marketplace in the business that has nothing to do with the business this is now the, just the political aspect of work which I, I never liked and um, one of the reasons why being an entrepreneur having something of your own in your own time in your own space will be beneficial to any 
person. Um, but back to the individual who I had, who had this conversation or who told my cousin that I was uh, white or I turned white, um, they would never understand that fight because their, their fight is now being harassed by the police. They're still on what I call level one. They're still, I wouldn't even call it level one because we always have to deal with level one. But they have, and you know, I try to be as organic as possible. That thud that you just heard was, um, <laughs> was a bird flying into my window. I hope it's okay. Beyond that, I'm, I'm grateful to live where I live now. You know, have my son and my wife experience certain things that I never experienced growing up. Um, but in Blanco, the Peace Blanco, um, we continue to accept our reality or accept certain things of being commonplace when they shouldn't be or they should be they shouldn't be aberrations um, like when I go back home and I talk to my cousins just in, in we have this these dialogues you know I tell them that certain things are possible the the salary or the money that you seek is out here they print it every day um, and I would only wish that those individuals that look like me or who grew up in, in an urban environment, whether it's Oakland, whether it's L.A., whether it's Memphis, Tennessee, whether it's Chicago, whether it's North New Jersey, Trent, New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, Philadelphia, um, you can attain and achieve the level of success that you see in your mind's eye if you apply it there is no man there is only what you perceive it to be I like Blanco because um it shows you two sides of a coin. It shows you now coming into how race plays a part into it in American society and how it's so ingrained and so embedded in many different levels and many different facets. Now you're dealing with professionals. You're dealing with those who have some level of experience and, and oftentimes they don't even catch themselves. or even myself as a, a black man, I, you know, I don't even catch myself sometimes, you know, in level of thinking. Sometimes when you come from an urban environment, you kind of default to certain things, certain levels of thinking. Um, for example, I'm, ten, I'm quick to victim blame um, because it's a byproduct of my society. 
we as black people, we victim blame each other. Um, I remember vividly, um, I lived with my mom and dad coming back from college and I used to park on the side, right in front of the house, but I parked right in, on the side, you know, on the street. And my car was broken into at least four times. It was a 1997 Nissan Maxima, white dash. For those who understand what the white dash was, it means you meant your car went faster, but I had a kill switch on the car. Um, and for those who don't know what a kill switch is, it means that the car would not start without the key fob. Um, and there was a certain way to turn it on. I had a, a switch on the bottom under the, uh, the steering wheel, which I would have to press for three seconds, hit the, hit the car, the key fob, and then press the gas. And that's how the, the car would start. And um, the, 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 the jackers couldn't steal it, you know. The, they couldn't, the car thieves could not steal this car and they wanted it bad. They tried four times. But the consequences for me not parking, or sometimes I used to work a lot. I, I worked at FedEx, very hard job. I had two very hard jobs. I worked at FedEx and I worked overnight. I worked overnight at a, as a security guard. Um, you know, I did anything to, to make ends meet. So I would park my car. Sometimes I didn't want to back multiple cars out of the, out of the driveway. Um, so I would just park my car for a little bit, take a nap. And like 11.30, anything after 11.30, my car would be broken into. And it made me upset that um, I couldn't just park my car for 2.5 seconds or I couldn't park it just to take a nap. And my dad would often say like, you know where the hell you live? You live in Newark, like you know people are gonna come um, steal your car. And I'm like, they shouldn't touch my car. I can't park my car in the street. And he like, man, look, you have to pay for that. And then I would often have to pay $20. I had to go down to the junkyard and pay $20 to get the window fixed. Um, whether Because they, they would break the back vent window, which was 20, or if they wanted to break the front window, it was another 30. And then even at one time, they would break the ignition. That was another $180. And mind you, I'm, I'm getting paid pennies at my normal jobs, at my two jobs. And um, every time I would have to pay $30. And I know the prices because I would have to go to the junk man and they would say, you back again? Yeah, because I'm getting my car broken into because I can't take a nap at 11.30. Um, and that's a part of the society we live in. And so victim blaming is a part of it. I could just hear my dad saying, Yo, why you park your car? And even myself, I'm like, man, I got caught slipping. You know, that's a product of the hood. You know, somebody was to rob you and you get caught slipping. It's like, damn, I gotta get better. If, you know, if I make it, if I survive the encounter, I have to do better. And so you would victim blame yourself to say like, you know what, maybe it was me. So at times, we as black people tend to victim blame and put it on ourselves and not look at the situation in, in order to move forward. You can't always blame yourself for a situation. You just have to either remove yourself from said situation to grow the way you need to grow, or you need to 
unfortunately move accordingly in this situation. And that's something I realized I take on as someone being from an urban environment. So I don't fault people. In Blanco, I never faulted uh, individuals for saying that. Did it bother me at the time? It bothered me enough to, to write this piece. But you just have to understand your people and the, le the level of ignorance or the level of, of different mediums affecting them to, to have that outlook on life. And sometimes it's so hard or so impenetrable, you can't get through to them. Even being an example, being a positive example, it, it would have behooved him to actually come up to me and ask me how I did it. And then even with my level of experience, I can give him some pointers in order to, to improve his condition. But instead of wanting to improve his condition, he was just, he's able to be dismissive to say like, ah, he turned white. So that, that's, that's the level of your success or lucky you, you're one of the lucky ones. You often hear that like, not, like hard work didn't attribute to my success or certain things that I did or choices didn't attribute to my success. At a certain level, there is no luck. There's only the grace of God and hard work. There is no luck. I don't take, I don't believe in luck anymore. You ask any business person, there is no luck. But you have to put yourself in position in order to, in order to grasp any opportunity available. But I will no longer ramble no more. I want to thank you for tuning in to Cotton and the Rocket Chip. And that piece was Blanco. Have a good day and peace.